You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Oh, look here. I got one. I got one. Look here. <laughs> I mean, he whacked that football jig. The blades will dictate a lot of times the speed of the retrieve or the depth of that bait. Oh, good fish. Good fish. Did you see him come off that log? Woo, look at that son gun, man. That's awesome. You know, you've got to just stay active. Fishing is not easy. Oh, man, that's a toad. This is unbelievable. Hello, and welcome to this week's edition of The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge TV. Outdoors Dan here, guys. And speaking of Bass Edge Television, my co-host Aaron Martin is right here with me. Aaron, how you doing? I'm doing well, Dan. What have you been up to? Oh, just uh, getting ready to actually do a little more fishing. Oh, there you go. Now, hey, I know you're on sabbatical right now, but you still are on TV. People can see Bass Edge TV on? On uh, Wild TV in Canada, actually. And then you guys will be kicking back up again on Versus in January, uh, in January right? Yep, that's right. All right, well, folks, we got a great podcast for you today. We're going to be speaking with Cindy Hill, pro staffer and female angler on the WBT circuit. Is that correct, Aaron? That is right, the Women's Bass Tour. All right, and then we're going to be checking in with Steve Gordon from the Renaissance Financial. And what does Renaissance Financial do? Well, Renaissance Financial is actually uh, financial planning, but specifically, you know, I really wanted to bring light on how we can ultimately just go out there and be able to pursue our passion more. So Steve's got some great info to share on that. Well, that's exciting. And don't forget, we're going to have uh, listener emails and questions to answer and give some great prizes away all right here, right after this. Give any type of boat the edge with MegaWare Keel Guard. It's simple to install, and we can now beach our boat anywhere. If you own a boat, you need one of these. MegaWare Keel Guard protects the keel of your boat from sand abrasion, from underwater obstructions, even concrete boat ramps. Kit started under $140, and best yet, it's guaranteed to keep on protecting for life. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. Hi, welcome back to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass TV. Aaron, I can't believe we're on our third week already. This is really flying by. Man, I tell you, it just it, it goes goes without saying that whenever you get to talk about fishing, uh, it doesn't take long for time to pass. No, and i got to tell you, TV time is going to start up again. And I know you guys are on Wild TV in Canada right now, so that makes got to make you feel good that you're on almost the whole year. You know, it does. We have a, a tremendous amount of following uh, there for our northern neighbors, and uh, it's just exciting to be able to share that experience, that on-the-water experience with them as well. But, you know, right now, uh, back in the States, we're gearing up for Season 2, uh, which which will start, uh, believe it or not, already in January. Yeah, I can't believe it. I, I mean, Outdoors Traditions, we start our third season on, in four weeks. I can't believe that either. Yeah, it, it <laughs> goes you've quick. been traveling all over the country trying to get hunting and that done as well, so you yeah. full well. Well, you know, the sad, I, came up, I came up with really a sad realization the other day. You and I are really are not going to get the fish this year. No. <laughs> now, the, you know, we had this, this plan, you know, for first it was July and then it was August. Yeah. And, you know, of course, that's... Uh, right here, knocking on the doorstep. So, uh, yeah, it doesn't it's, look good. It's just not going to happen. So uh, maybe, after, maybe after the sports show next year, I don't know. <laughs> we'll watch one another's TV shows. and Yeah, yeah that's about as close as we're going to get. That's right. Hey, there's a bunch of uh, upcoming FLW events. Can you talk a little bit about that? You know, there is. Um, the the FLW had um, the the championship there at Ouachita. Um, that is basically, it, it qualified individuals from the, from the Strin series, 
from the FLW series, uh, and then of course from the FLW tour, and then also the Ranger Owners Tournament. Um, so that that uh, is happening at at Awachita. Uh, then, you know, there's just a tremendous amount of of BASS tournaments that's been going on with the Elite Series. Um, of course, as you well know by now, you know we had uh, Steve Clapper on, and he ended up winning. Uh, the the FLW tournament there on Lake Erie, of which uh, you know we were blessed to be able to tape on that lake. So uh, there's just a lot of things happening. Yeah, it's crazy. And uh, you know, you just told me before we went on the air that uh, you had a, a loss in the Bass Edge family. Can you talk about that for a minute? Yeah, you know, um, it's, it's it's a little. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are aware of this by now, but but Tim Tucker, who really was the the pioneer um, within any type of, of bass communication, and I'm not just talking about BASS, but, but really just touched, uh, you know, so many of the individuals' uh, lives who had an interest in fishing. And I'm sure if you've read any type of publication, chances are some sometime throughout your lifetime that uh, you've probably read one of his articles. So, unfortunately, um, you know, that happened, and our thoughts and prayers go out to uh, to his family. Yeah, our condolences out to the family. That's That's a rough time for anyone. Well, you know, uh, cure-all for summer. Everybody's kind of in the summer doldrums right now, and they're looking for a cure-all bait. And, you know, i got to tell you, for summertime, and, again, this is coming from the amateur side with me, but the cure-all for all summer baits is a spinnerbait to me. And is there any really a, a more versatile lure than a spinnerbait? You know, the spinnerbait certainly ranks, as, in my mind, as one of the all-time greats um, just because it, it it is so effective. It can be worked so many different ways and you know the the core of the bait actually mimics kind of a small school of of bait fish if you will or shad you know that's moving and and with the different blade combinations from the you know the colorado to the willow to the indiana um you know and then everything in between there's certainly even more modifications of that now but uh you can work it slow you can work it fast you can increase the weight of the lead on the head in other words go from say a quarter to three eighths to a half to three quarters all the way up to you know there's some guys that throw ounce and a half for those deep ledges but um it, it's just such a great bait i mean you can work it around timber around rocks um and, and it just works i mean I, I don't know how else to explain it but by adding a trailer uh, adding different skirt combinations and colors, really you could spend a tremendous amount of time just trying to exhaust all possibilities, you know, with a spinnerbait. And I know that's one of your favorites. Oh, that's exactly where I was going with that. You know, not only do you have the different blade combinations, but, I mean, you can you have to have hundreds of hundreds of choices just in the skirts, you know. And, uh, no, I mean, they are great, especially if you put a, either a curly tail or if you put a crawler on the back of it, I mean, whatever's going to work in your area of the woods, or the lake, rather, yeah, I think that's a great, uh, just a, it's an overall bait that you can have in there and, and catch fish. It is, and, you know, a, a lot of times, too, I'll, I'll often, you know, add a trailer hook um, to it, and just as kind of as a security blanket to make sure you get those fish in the boat. But kind of a, a funny story, Dan, that you just made me think of that when you were, you were talking about the trailers is, um I was fishing a tournament one time, and it was actually a team tournament. It was early on in, uh, when I got into competitive fishing. But, you know, we were fishing this bank, and, and we decided to make a run. And long story short, we were obviously throwing spinnerbaits. And my partner hooked into a really, really good fish. And he set the hook, went to bring it in, and boom. It, yeah, I mean, it just, it just the line just broke. We had no clue what happened. So we went over to the other side of the cove, um, managed to catch a few more over there, came back 20 minutes later, he set the hook again, 
and it's again another good fish. I netted the fish, went to reach down to lip the fish, take it out of the the dip net, and lo and behold, I took his spinnerbait out, and what's buried in the the bottom of his throat of this fish's throat, but was his other spinnerbait. So wow, essentially, he mouth cut the line, and that just goes to show you that fish will hit those things again and again. <laughs> figure the odds of that. I know. I mean, we were just standing there in in amazement, and that fish actually, uh, we went on to to win that tournament. But I mean, that just goes to show you the the length of memory. Uh, that a bass has. So I don't necessarily always agree with, you know, some of the things that are out there, but shows the effectiveness of a spinnerbait anyway. Sure. That's pretty neat. You know, uh, summer fishing, what's some of the summer fishing trends, Aaron, going on right now? You know, uh, in summer, is you're dealing with the heat. And then with the onset of the dog days, which basically is um, has a lot to do with the oxygen content in the water, um, you know, certainly deep patterns, fishing around deep structures on deep points, maybe brush piles, man-made brush piles using a, a big 10-inch worm, big jigs. Uh, of course, then you've got on the, the deeper reservoirs, clearer reservoirs, uh, fishing for those suspended fish, either with a swim bait, a drop shot, or even a spoon um, to where those fish will, will suspend right at the thermocline. But I'm also a big, big believer that there's always some shallow-time fish. You know, you can go to lakes like uh, a Grand Lake in Oklahoma, or to even on the Potomac where there's there's current and tidal systems, you know those fish will position uh, in very very shallow water. And when that you know when that water is stained and those fish are are shallow, there's nothing better than picking up a flipping stick and a, and a jig or a tube or some sort of creature bait and just going target fishing. That's awesome. Well, I tell you what, folks, we just threw a lot of stuff at you in a very short time. We need to take a short break, and when we come back. And we're going to visit with your friend, Cindy Hill, and uh, she's going to take us fishing on ledges and some other good stuff right here on The Edge. You've got the truck. You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 towing pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The Tow and Stow Receiver Hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge. Okay, we are back on The Edge and joined by WBT competitor Cindy Hill. Cindy, thanks so much for being part of The Edge. Oh, thank you so much for having me here. You know, Cindy, the, there's there's a lot of techniques that I want to get into uh, a little bit later in the podcast. But first, you know, one of the things that is kind of at the top of the list is female participation in the sport of bass fishing. And although I think it's been around for a long time, you know, with women com- competing and enjoying the sport from a recreational level, um, it, it's just really starting to get some press. Yes, it is. We're finally getting our name out there, and the women are are starting to come out and enjoy the time that the women have fun spending together. You know, in a a sport that's been really dominated by male participation, you know, take, for instance, yourself. How did you get involved in the the sport of fishing? (laughs) That's a funny story. (laughs) For me and my husband today, I had to learn how to fish with him, and he taught me how to fish. And we spent good quality time together. And when we had kids, our boys enjoyed. It was a family affair, good quality time together. And that's the only way. Was it always bass fishing? Or did you? you Well, we crappie fish. We Uh catfish. We crappie fish. We do whatever. Was it always at a competitive level? No, we go out 
at home, we go out all the time, just crappie fishing and having good cookouts and fish fries and getting the family together and sitting out on the deck, enjoying friends and family. So, you know, what advice, because obviously I have a little girl who's three and a half, and, you know, that's that's one of my concerns is, is when you're an angler and you enjoy the sport, trying to share that sport with others is, is a big concern. Of it mine. is. You know, and, and how not only to get other people, but specifically, how do you think, what is what is a good way to get females involved in this? Well, sport? to me, if we don't get this next generation of females out there enjoying their time with their father or their mother, their brother, their spouse, their boyfriend, they're missing out on life. Everything enjoyable is out there spending good quality time together. Get these kids off the street. Yeah, and, and it's give them an outlet. Exactly, and, yeah. and that that is what ultimately you know really I, I thank fishing for from the standpoint because once you get involved in it, I mean it is addictive. It is. It is. And and you talk to people that fish and they turn around and say this is my stress reliever, and. The spouse doesn't get involved in that, but they need to get involved in that because the quality time they are together, it makes or breaks the marriage. Right. I mean, you've got to spend quality time with your family. Well, and, and the challenge. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, you know, there's so many different, um, what would you say, ways to to spend your time now as a, as a kid or a uh, teenager that... You know, it's essentially in competition with video games and, and all the other extreme sports that they're doing. But to me, fishing is one of the best extreme sports there is. It is. And it's so addictive. Just take the time. Teach that child how to throw a spin caster or a bait caster. Just turn that brakes down and, and let them cast till they get the good feel of it. And once they hook that first fish, that's it. They're ruined. That's they it. are hooked yeah. for life. <laughs> hooked for life. Literally. Yeah. You know, what about as far as from a, with you getting into the sport? Because I think, you know, I can say from even at my level, when you walk into any major sporting goods store, um, you know, even given the experience that, let's say, that you have, it can be intimidating for people that are just starting out in the sport when they look at all the tackle, all the different rods and reels and, you know, any suggestions there on how to make it just easy or simple? Well, it's it's overwhelming when you walk, even at Walmart. You can walk into any store, and it's overwhelming of the rod selection and the bait selection. You're like, where do I even start? But, I mean, find you a good quality rod, a good reel, good line, and a good bait. A spinnerbait, good search bait. Spinnerbait, learn how. Go out every day. I mean, go out and fish. And that can be done at your local city lake, a pond. Oh, yeah, or your pond, or the impoundment at your apartment complex yep. just go out there and feel comfortable you've got to build your confidence up throw that spinnerbait all day and when you catch a fish you're hooked that's it well that's and i look at it like you know just i've used the example before whatever sport you're playing whether it's golf tennis basketball baseball you know you look at athletes that whether it be in a recreational all the way up to a professional you have to practice that and, you know, uh, getting comfortable with your equipment, like you talked about casting, right. knowing right. what those baits are doing. You know, any any thoughts there as far as from a practice standpoint? Well, when, when kids get out of school, if they want to walk down to the pond or they want to walk down to the apartment complex water, 
shed, just walk them down there. Go out there and spend some quality time with them. Tighten it up to where they don't backlash every cast and make them feel good about what they've done. Instead of playing the video games, instead of sitting behind the TV, get them outside. Well, and the other thing, too, I think, is that I can always remember from, like, the involvement with my dad. You know, that was just time that I knew right then and there I always I had his 100% attention because you're in the boat. It's yeah. not like you can run away. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, I think we dropped the female side of that. Okay, you're saying me and my dad. I didn't have a dad around. So, I mean, it was me and my mom, and she taught me how to fish. I mean, we sat on the bank and fished with a cane pole at the fishing rodeo. Everybody does that. It's open to everybody. I mean, she took the time. So, I mean, we kind of leave the females, the little girls out. Exactly. And get these dads to involve that, that girl. Don't say, this is what you're supposed to do. Go out and have fun. Laugh. Have a lunch. Take a picnic. Just make her enjoy that day. And and don't put any restrictions on Don't, yeah. If you have to get get you some crickets, some worms, some little worms. Well, let's transition now over into, you know, technique specific. You're from Middle Tennessee, correct? Middle Tennessee. And, um, you know, even though you call, I guess, Percy Priest and Kentucky Lake and some of those your home waters, um, you know, you obviously travel all over. But... You also have really got into, you know, you're very good at ledge fishing, throwing a jig, um, some of those different techniques. Let's let's focus a little bit about, is there a particular bait that you really like to throw more times than not that is really your go-to bait? My go-to bait would be a jig. I love throwing a topwater. There is nothing better than the excitement, the heart pumping that you'll get from just a topwater bait, the explosion. I mean, there's nothing better. So once the, I guess the, let's say if, if you're only applying the top water in the early morning and now you've picked up the jig, you know, there's so many different ways that you can fish a jig. You know, you can flip it, pitch it, drag it, right. drop it. Right. Um, I'd like for you to really key in on, you know, whenever you talk about ledge fishing. Okay. You know, what is, what is ledge fishing? Ledge fishing is when the fish are after they've spawned, they've gone into the post-spawn, summer heat, the oxygen level is, is way down and the water is 80, 90 degrees, or they drop out on the ledges, on the river ledges. For instance, specifically like Kentucky Lake. Let's Kentucky say. Lake. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Okay. Kentucky Lake is a good one. And they live there. They never move. The shad follow them out there. They're out there for the good quality, the water. And are there, you know, when you're looking at these, uh, trying to identify ledges, because obviously, using our example of Kentucky Lake, you know, the river, it's a, it's a river system. It is. And, and it has a river channel that runs the, basically the entire length. So essentially, there, there's going to be some form of ledge throughout the, the entire course of the lake. But how do you narrow that down for beginning anglers to say, okay, you know, this is an area that I need to key on and start with. If if you look at a map, a good topographical map, you'll see that these pockets go back in their excellent spawning flats. And then you look and there's a the the old old creek channel before they flooded it, made the lake, runs out to the river channel and makes a point. 
that's an excellent ledge. They're going to transition from the back of those creeks from pre-spawn and spawn and drop out into the ledges. And then they'll hold on those ledges. They'll live there until the fall, and then they'll follow the shad back up into the the So once you start with and identify from a topographical topographical map uh, of these spawning pockets, you know, with the creek channels, then how do you narrow down and and really dissect those ledges? Well, when you look at the the ledge itself, if it's a point that runs out, instead of just hitting the top of that point, you want to cast to the right of it, the top of it, to the left of it, because there is going to be a sweet spot. Now, this the this lake, Kentucky Lake, is a current-oriented lake, and they may be sitting out there above the current, waiting for the any predators or any fish to come by. But they may be on the the down current side or the dam side, and they sit there waiting for us to throw a jig in their face. How critical is is electronics play in dissecting? Absolutely. You have got to have good electronics because that's your eyes underwater. I mean, we're looking at a sport here that I don't see a golf course or a hole that I have to putt to. I'm looking mentally, making a picture of how this point lays, and I don't see it. It's underwater. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have to visually see how my bait is working over that point how that point lays, and where I think the fish ought to be. So do you set up on it from multiple angles? Absolutely. You don't know where they're going to be on that ledge. You don't know how they're wanting the presentation. Do they want it a drag? Do they want it hot? Do they want it yanked? Do they want it, you know... Subtle presentation yeah. or whatever. So whenever... Let, let's... You know, I want to get specific on a ledge because okay. when I think of a ledge, that's probably open for interpretation. Can you describe some of the different types of ledges that, that you're referring to whenever you say identifying these spawning pockets? You know, we've got the creek that's coming out into the main channel. Go Walk us through a couple scenarios there of, of the type of ledges that you're, you're targeting. Okay. You can look at, like, the back of the creeks that runs out and makes a underwater point. And is that when right at the main channel? Or when it, or is that back runs in, toward back? the main okay. channel? But right. you can have secondary channels. But this temperature of water, they're going to be in the coolest water, so they're going to go further out toward the river. Okay. So I mean, that's a underwater point, or a underwater drop off, or it may be in ledges to where it stages down. Kind just of like stair steps. Stair steps, just mm-hmm. like you see on a river bank or. An old dam to where they stair Currents step Currents eroded maybe right. because the water got right. up at some point in time right. and it's cut a channel up higher and or you got shelf rock or something like that. Especially shelf rock. Middle Tennessee is full of shelf rock. Okay. So, I mean, you've got stair steps down. So then do you normally, let's say if you have a situation uh, to where it is a stair step, are you going to fish every single one of those, those stair steps? Until you find out where those fish are positioned, you have to, to hit the very top of it. And you can sit out deep and throw, cast in, and work it down. And eventually, you're going to set a pattern to where you know if they're on the 20-foot section or they're on the 15-foot section or they're on the 30-foot section. They may, may be right there out in the river. 
And then what are your specific bait? What are your, your target baits that you'll use to dissect these ledges, whether they be stair-step ledges or just an individual single ledge slash point? You know, what are some of your bait choices that you like to throw on those? I'll, I'll definitely throw a deep diving crankbait. Okay, and deep I'll, diving meaning? DD-22, oh, okay. 16s, anything that digs down to where it can step down the complete way out back to the retrieve of the boat and I want to feel what's down there is this gravel is this mud is it a stair step or is it just a complete drop off into the river channel and then I'll turn around if they don't if they're not aggressive enough to hit a a deep diving crankbait I'll turn around and throw a, a jig or a worm and find out what do you want what are you What's going to fire you up? What's going to make you bite? Right. And then on the on the jigs, are we talking predominantly football-type heads to, to work those ledges with or round ball heads or just combination? If you don't have a lot of rock, you can go with the round head. But when I've got a lot of rock or brush, I'll use a football head to get down there quicker. Mm-hmm. Let me feel it. I want to go as light as I can go on a jig, but I've got to feel what's down there. When you're throwing a worm, you're gliding through it. You're not actually feeling what what's on the bottom. Is that brush? Is that rock? In other words, you want to stay in contact. I've got to be in with contact the with the bottom. Okay, and the football it, head helps you from getting it snagged, and it does, and it gets down there deeper, mm-hmm. quicker, because it's heavier. Because it's heavier. But you can go with a lightweight football head and get up on the top. If I go shallow, I'll go with a lighter football head. Just because it simply doesn't have to drop down as, as correct, quickly. correct. Then you know, taking it from from that standpoint, um, you know, how long do you spend on a spot? What is, do you have any rule of thumb? You know, before you you know, are you, are you going to run through all three of those scenarios? Let's say, and then if you still don't get the response that you're looking for, are you off to the next one or? Well, it, it's a great big picture. You've got to look at. When I idle over it, or I idle near it, do they have bait fish? I, I'm not going to sit outside if I don't have a restaurant down the street or a grocery store down the street. I mean, that's an excellent way. If they've got their bait fish, and then you've got to add in, there's so many elements going into that. Do they have current? Which way is the current running? Is it wind current, or is it the lock opens up, or they're running current, generating current? And then from the, so from that point, then if if you get a response, you know if it's current based or cloudy or sunny, you're taking those into consideration. And that's how you set up a pattern. Mm-hmm. Are they out there on the very end? Is the current coming over the top of that ridge and dropping back off? Are they on the back side of that current or on the front side? Where are their bait fish? Where are their shad? Where's their dinner table? Where's the buffet? And if they have their dinner, they have the structure. You know the fish are there. You're marking fish on your electronics. You can see that there are schools of bait fish. The fish are out there. You know they're there. Find out what they want. You know, some of these ledges are, are located from with regards to visible shoreline um, that has been flooded. They're, they're a, a ways off, and it can be very difficult to, to hold, our, you know, hold position, especially if there's current and wind. You know, because you may only be fishing, you know, what, a 30 or 40-yard stretch. Do you Are you a big fan of, of using buoys and 
I'm a, I'm a visual person. I want to see. I know you can look in a map. I know you can look at your electronics, but I like to have a visual. Where is the tip of that point, or where is the drop on that point? And I'll throw a buoy, and I'll work all the way around it. A lot of people never follow out that point. They'll go from one side of it, over the top of it, and continue down the bank. But if they'll go offshore, and don't let that intimidate them, drop you a buoy on the end of that and follow that ridge all the way out or follow that point all the way out to the river. Because usually the best ambush place for those fish are, is out there on that end of that point. Well, and, you know, in, in closing here, the one of the unique things is that that is these ledges and, and the description that you're giving, that's something that you can apply on your home waters, whether it be a small stream, you know, a pond, or am I correct on that? Oh, absolutely. And I take this all across the United States. I use it on my home lake and fish that we have never caught on our home lake. We've applied this to that, that technique to our home lake and just smack them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've had a good time. Good. Well, Cindy, unfortunately, I mean, it's amazing how quickly the time goes by. But, you know, one of the things for, for our listeners is that uh, I know you're slated to be on uh, Bass Edge on, on the Versus Network on our television show uh, coming for 2008. So we'll, we're definitely going to look forward. We're going to be able to try out some of that ledge fishing that you're referring to uh, on Kentucky Lake. But I just want to thank you for being part of the edge, and we wish you continued success on the WBT trail. Well, thank you so much for having me out, and I want all the women, and, and bring your daughters, and if, if you can't get out there with your husband, call me. We'll get out there. That's great advice. Thanks so much, Sam. Thank you. All right, folks, welcome back to the edge. This is Outdoors Dan. He's Aaron Martin, and we just heard from Cindy Hill and Aaron i got to tell you, I, she was really throwing a lot of information out there. Can I ask you a couple quick questions? No, definitely. What Can you explain fishing drop-off or ledges, what she was saying on river channels? Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of the, especially man-made reservoirs, um, are essentially just river systems that have, you know, have a dam um, that was built. And obviously, as when this floods, you still have the remnants of the existing river channel. So, you know, once those... Uh, Let's say once the lake fills and let's say it floods a farm bottom or something like that, you're still going to have a distinct drop-off. Even once you work back up into some of the coves and bays of a particular lake, those creek channels uh, flood, obviously, way acres and acres back up into there. And when you get to those edges or at the mouth of them, you know, there is a that where those two river channels meet or where the old river channel uh, still swings up against the bank, It'll drop from maybe, you know, 12 to, you know, 35, 40, 50 feet, you know, down off the side of that. Some of them are going to be like a bluff, a sheer bluff. Some will be more of a, of a if you kind of think of a river to where the, the river has eroded away the bank, you know, it'll be more of a, a, a slower sloping. Uh, others where the, the creek channel comes back out into the main river system, you know, it'll cut a, a, a channel and leave a point or a hump right there. So that's really what she's talking about. Well, I, I, she did a great job. I was just, you know, I, I learn every time we do this stuff, so it's always good to ask you and just to make sure that I, I heard what I thought I heard. But, no, well, you she know, did a and, great job. And the, th- the thing about Cindy is that, is, you know, growing up uh, being a female in the sport, um, you know, she's really a seasoned, seasoned veteran. And, but one of the things that she points out is that she learns every day. 
Oh, sure. And, you know, it's just her, her passion is just being able to go out there and not only enjoy the sport, but also to help grow the sport uh, from both the female perspective, but also just introducing it to kids and, and younger people uh, who maybe want to take it up for a recreation. Yeah, I love what you said about using big jigs. You know, that goes along with my theory. If you want to catch big fish, use big bait. Right, and, you know, and that's, uh, I know my experience has been with, um, you know, those bigger football-type jigs. You may not get as many bites as what you would with a a smaller-type jig, but normally the bites that you get, they're going to be pretty good ones. So, it sounded like it. And what do you think about what she said about the crankbaits? Well, crankbaits are again they're they're going to rank right there with the spinnerbait because they they are so closely you know they so closely resemble uh, just a real bait fish and when you get onto those those ledges and those channel swings and those points and that uh, like she's referring to you know normally any time that there's a current or any time that they're generating water those are just great areas uh, to throw those crankbaits and again crankbaits you know range anywhere from to a shallow diving to a square bill that you can run against the timber to all the way up to those deeper diving crankbaits where you can get down there and grind against those uh those drop-offs so yeah and with that current you're going to get some extra action in that lure no question no yeah question. that's awesome well i can't believe it we got to run and take another break again folks if you don't mind keep it right here we'll be right back with some more information right here on the edge when i'm fishing in a tournament time is critical i need fast easy access to my lures My Cook's go-to tackle system keeps my bait organized, tangle-free, and within easy reach. It installs in minutes under any deck lid, maximizing the storage space of my boat. And its durable construction lasts even through the harshest conditions. Get organized with Cook's tackle system by calling 188-390-8780 or online at cooksgoto.com. Hi, folks. Welcome back to The Edge. This is Outdoors Dan Young. He is Aaron Martin. And one of my favorite places on the edge right here, Friday Giveaway and Listener Email Time. And Aaron, uh, who do we have for the Friday Giveaway? Um, actually, we have Mothers is going to be giving away a full line of their care products for both the boats and the autos. Uh, and our lucky winner is all the way from Las Vegas, Nevada, and that goes out to Lance. So, Lance, uh, congratulations. You've got a full lineup of Mothers heading right your way. Well, I, I think he's going to have a whole new appreciation for Mother. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that works for me. Hey, and we got a great listener email question from Jeff from Santee, California. Aaron, he wants to know, what advice can you give to those about to partake in their first night tournament, baits, gear type, presentations, et cetera? You know, Jeff presents a, a great question. I think um, regardless if you're actually fishing a tournament or just going night fishing, I think it's going to be the same application. First and foremost, if I would definitely suggest making sure that, uh, that you wear your life jacket. I mean, that's one thing. I know some of the lakes that, that I've been on does have an uh, extreme amount of boat traffic, recreational boat traffic, other than just fishermen on that. So, that, you know, that's going to be the first thing. But definitely I would key on, um, you know, making sure that you've got the top water uh, because if you happen to, if you launch, Prior to you know the sun going completely down, top water is just a, a phenomenal, phenomenal bait to be able to throw. And also the other thing, if you have any vegetation, you know like lily pads or any grass mats or things like that, you know those frogs, uh, they will hit that type of stuff um, even after it gets dark. And if you want to see just an outrageous or an unbelievable time, if you can imagine it being dark and something blowing up and exploding on that. Uh, it will just rock your world. But in addition to that, you know, certainly something uh, like a 10-inch worm uh, for the summertime um, to be able to, to get down and, and, and uh, work that, that worm uh, throughout the vegetation or over the rocks or uh, in the brush piles. And then naturally it's going to be the go-to, which is always my jig. Um, you know, I definitely like to be able to throw 
uh, a jig and be able to get it down there on the points. If there's any type of current generation, things like that, you know, that is where you really want to key in is going to be on those points and, and any current breaks uh, to where those fish will stack up getting ready to ambush any bait fish. So great question from Jeff. Now, being nighttime, Aaron, is it more important to use uh, jigs that have uh, material inside that make noise? You know, um, I'm, I, I think from the standpoint of making noise, I, I think it's always a, a good thing. Um, I don't know that it necessarily just goes to tonight. I mean, even with a, like a tube, because a tube is something else that would fall into the soft plastics or the creature bait mm-hmm. uh, category, you can buy those glass inserts that have those um, rattles inside of them. Right. You can just poke them right into uh, your worm or your creature bait or the tube weights where they just slide up right into the cavity of the tube. And I definitely think it, you know, it helps. Um, one of the tricks pertaining to sound is just to try and, again, we've got to keep this between the three of us, but it's just going to be going to the craft store, craft department at your, you know, local, uh, I don't know, Walmart or something like that. And, and you remember those gold jingle bells that you've probably seen? Oh, sure. You can slide those actually up into like a tube, and they make a completely different sound from anything that's on the market. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a big fan of, of, uh, of rattles. Wow, that sounds exciting. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, that's a great question from Jeff. And, hey, folks, don't forget to send in a question or comment, and you will be in the weekly drawing. Simply send an email to podcast at bassedge.com with your name and address in the body of the email, and uh, you might be right here on the show. Eric, I can't believe it. We need to take our final break, and when we get back, we're going to join your buddy, and that's Steve Gordon from Renaissance Financial. That should be exciting. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a great interview. A little bit off the beaten path, but I promise you it's, it's going to be well worth it. All right, folks, keep it right here. We'll be right back on The Edge. Give any type of boat the edge with MegaWare Keel Guard. It's simple to install, and we can now beach our boat anywhere. If you own a boat, you need one of these. MegaWare Keel Guard protects the keel of your boat from sand abrasion, from underwater obstructions, even concrete boat ramps. Kit started under $140, and best yet, it's guaranteed to keep on protecting for life. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. Okay, welcome back to The Edge. I uh, have the pleasure of being joined by a very, very unique guest today that is applicable regardless if you fish recreationally or fish as a professional or don't fish at all, really. And that is Steve Gordon with Renaissance Financial. Steve, thanks so much uh, for being part of The Edge. Well, thanks, Aaron, for having me today. Well, you know, the, the funny thing is is that um, when I was anticipating this interview, uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit off the beaten path as far as from fishing perspective, but yet when you stop and think about it, you know, financial planning and making sure that you're reaching your goals to be able to fish in this sport, whether it be as a recreation or, you know, as a profession, financial planning is imperative wherever you go. Yeah, it really is true. It doesn't really matter what walk of life you're in or what your interests lie. Financial issues are always very important to everyone. And fortunately, not everyone takes the time or has the right person advising them on these topics. Well, and, you know, your your specialty and, and renaissance of itself is that, per se, you, you work with a lot of professional athletes, but you also work with a lot of business owners and a lot of real estate professionals um, because that is much like kind of running your own business. Why don't you tell us a little bit about kind of the process of, you know, financial planning and how, how we can benefit from that? Yes, at Renaissance, we're an independent financial planning firm. So what we do is we meet with an individual 
they decipher to us what their financial goals are first and foremost, and occasionally we'll even walk them through the process of identifying what the goals are in the first place. Then from there, we'll do a quick snapshot of what they're involved in, from short-term savings to retirement plans who they have through their employer, just to get a feel for what they're actually doing. Because oftentimes we find that a person has established what their goals might be, but what they're actually putting into play doesn't quite meet the goal. A lot of what we spend our time on is just establishing savings programs for individuals. Because I don't, it doesn't really matter what level of income you are. Saving money is always the biggest challenge for anyone. Well, I think that's a, that's a very good point because people think that, well, you know, when I make more money or when I win more tournaments or when I, you know, do this or do that, I'm going to start saving more money. And quite honestly, that's, that's not the case. It's just as hard, you know, regardless of what your income level is. That's absolutely true, and if, regardless of your age, talk to anyone who's 10 years older than you, and they will always, 100% of the time, tell you as advice that they wish they would have saved more money as a younger person. So one of the things that we really counsel our people on, whether they're 25 or 65, time is of the essence, and saving money is the challenge, and the quicker you can do it, the better. Even if it's a, a relatively nominal amount for a younger person, the power of compounding interest in time is our greatest ally. So putting off the whole savings game, assuming that at some point in the future it becomes easier, it never does become easier. The only thing that becomes easier is if it's a set automated program where you're having a certain dollar amount taken out of a checking account and set that automatically directly into an investment account. That certainly takes the process of having to decide each and every month what you're going to save. It's the old pay yourself first strategy, which is very effective of having those monies automatically deposited kind of out of sight, out of mind mentality. Well, and, you know, it's, I can remember the example when, when we started working together very early on, you know, 10 years ago. Um, you know, I think you had made the comment that, hey, if, if, if you got a raise or, you know, if you got this windfall of money that came into you, you know, yeah, you're going to notice it the first few weeks. But yet if I come back to you a year from now and say, hey, how did that change your life? You know, chances are if, if you don't make that decision to do something with it right then and there, it's just going to get absorbed. That's exactly right, and some of our strategies are simply just tracking what a person would owe in, say, an automobile payment or a student loan payment or some sort of ongoing payment that's expiring at some point in the future. If a person has a two or three or four or five hundred dollar payment coming due, oftentimes you're right. A year later, if you were to identify what did you do with that three hundred dollar payment that's now gone a year later, they would not be able to know where that thirty six hundred dollars a month in their budget goes. It just evaporates. So as payments are coming due. We often just shift that money that's in the budget and you're used to paying for it. Just shift that right over to the savings column, and then you can go from a reasonable savings number to a rather sizable savings number pretty quickly just by paying attention as things come due and as things are paid off, shift that into the savings column automatically. Well, and and with that being said, you know, fishermen are very much, you know, anglers just in general are, are very goal-driven. I mean, whether we're saving for the next boat, the next tow vehicle, the next rods and reels, tackle, place on the lake, what have you, it doesn't matter. You know, bottom line is that if we know how to get there and we have just like map study on a lake, you know, how does the financial planning process and the differences that, that Renaissance and yourself and your team, you know, how does that walk us through that? Well, the process is well, exactly what you're getting at. The process is identifying what the goal is first. And unfortunately, not enough people spend enough time really identifying what they want to accomplish with their money. Everyone knows they're supposed to save money and they're supposed to invest it. But they don't always identify what's the exact purpose of it down the road. So we have this person identify 
is the primary goal, let's increase short-term savings, is the goal, let's set aside money for the education of a child, is the goal putting money away for retirement, and at what age do you identify retirement, and also, what does retirement mean to you? One person might want to retire and never work again, another person may want to get to an age of financial independence, so that they're only working as they enjoy it, or they're fishing, becomes more and more of their time and less and less working to be able to afford their hobbies. So identifying the goal is critical. Then we take a snapshot of where their monies are going now and do an overlap. And one of the key things we study is the timeline of when a person might need funds and manage it accordingly. In other words, if a person needs monies for a larger purchase or the college years are upon us or retirement is right around the corner, because the goal is the short term, those money should be invested very conservatively. If a person can let money sit in a retirement account for 10 or 15 or 20 years or longer, then those money should be invested very aggressively. And aggressive, I mean more stock market-based. Because if you have the appropriate investment for the appropriate timeline, we tend to make better decisions because you're sticking to the fundamental of money can be in the stock market, but if it's for a 15 or 20-year timeline, we usually have good results. If you're trying to double your money quickly in a stock investment to then go purchase a home, that's a very dangerous proposition because the timing of the market is too much of a factor, whereas saving for a large purchase or your goal is on top of you, we should be shifting money away from the stock market into more interest-bearing accounts. So, so basically what you do is you allow the individual, I mean, it's all dependent upon what maybe possibly the age, the goals, and then tie that back into picking the right vehicles to help get the get them there the most efficient and effective way. That's exactly right. And a great example of that is many, many people will tell me that they're putting good amounts of money into their retirement plans, whether it's an IRA, a 401k, a profit sharing plan through their employer. And those are terrific programs because they're pre-tax typically. Oftentimes the company is matching it. The money grows tax deferred. I mean, they're terrific programs, but the issue becomes a person will use them and again, it doesn't overlap with their goal. I'll have many people tell me they want to either cut back or retire or shift more of their time from working into their, their hobby or their sport in their mid-50s, for example, and yet all of their money is in a vehicle because of the IRS rules. You can't get to 401Ks, IRAs, profit-sharing monies without severe taxes and penalties until you're 59 and a half. So the simple issue becomes a lot of people are putting lots of money into a vehicle you can't touch to your 60 and yet they have a lot of goals that are prior to that age. So basically it works great for the for dollars to be used post-59 and a half, but anything that, um, if you're wanting to get to those dollars in advance of that, it's those tax benefits don't outweigh the fact that you can't get to it. Absolutely. Too many people get in a bind because they have a lot of money when they're 60 and not very much money at all when they're 57 or 8, and because of a job change or a change in the job or their mood on working anymore, or even a health issue can creep up where you can't have too much money locked away for too long of a time. So again, the key to all this is always balance. Focus on putting 5 to 10% of your monies towards a retirement plan and putting 5 to 10% of your monies towards short to intermediate term savings so that you're always hitting at all cylinders, short term savings, 10 plus year savings, and even 59 and a half plus savings. So you're hitting at all cylinders. Well, the, you know, what about, 
can you address real quickly because I, I think, and that's one of the things that I've appreciated with uh, yourself and, and Renaissance down through the years has been that, you know, you see all these advertisements and commercials about, you know, you need to do this or you need to do that or this investment's better. But your strategy is a little bit different because it's not a one-size-fits-all. It's not, you know, cookie-cutter, take it off the shelf, boom, this is what you need to do. It's more about the customization and the use of experts. And it's just like, you know, fishing. I mean, I don't use the same bait to try and catch fish all across the country. You can use the same style, but there's certain little tweaks and modifications that have to be made. That's correct. I mean, no two clients of ours are alike, so therefore no two financial programs we design for them are alike. Everyone's very, very different. The beauty of our system is that we're an independent firm, so we represent the individual first, identify their goals, identify what vehicles they may need to improve their situation, and then go out on their behalf and find the best vehicle for their situation. Unfortunately, a lot of our competitors or a lot of the people that have, people have had dealings with in the investment business are working for a company that has a product line, and their main job is to sell a particular product on behalf of that company to individuals. So a lot of investors out there get kind of tired of the process of having to sift through where does the advice begin and end versus the product-driven sale. You really, it's important that you focus on somebody who's really identifying what your goals are and trying to accomplish those goals on your behalf, really regardless of the product. The product is very secondary. I just view that as a tool of my trade. My job is to accomplish a person's financial goals and walk them through the process of identifying the goal and accomplishing those goals. Whether they need a Roth IRA or a college fund or an insurance product or a savings vehicle, that's very, very secondary, and those vehicles come and go. It's critical, though, that the working relationship is one based on trust and confidence more than the product line. Well, and in, in our last minute here or so, Steve, what you know? What do you see? You know, and, and not even necessarily specific to fishermen, but because it is angling is such a diverse group. Um, so I mean, you're it's just more of an interest than what it is necessarily a you know a, a personality trait, I guess. But what advice can you pass on to anglers out there, or maybe downfalls that you've seen through your career? You know, to to make sure that we're doing to be able to hit our goal and be able to pursue our passion. You know, moving forward. Well, if that's a high priority for a person, just identify that and really start applying time, effort, and monies towards accomplishing that goal. I mean, I believe life is all about balance. I've got people who have oversaved for retirement, and because of illness, they've not made it that far. I think that it's key that you enjoy life now and save some for the future. If a person is wanting to pursue fishing as a hobby or even a business, I think you should design a financial program to accomplish just that. Um, you're a prime example of that. That's something that you've had a passion for for a long time, and you've pursued it and made it into a business, versus a lot of people have that as the social pressure is that you have a job at a company, and then you go fish on the weekends, right. and that's a hobby, and you shouldn't spend too much time on that. But the reality is, the beauty of my job is I get to meet a lot of people from lots of walks of life who do about every profession you can think of, and I've always studied them for what they like about their job and what makes them successful. And I have found that the people that are successful, it's because they've found a profession that's a part of their passion, and they've almost converted a passion or a hobby into a business. Because if you enjoy your work, success will come. If you're trying to work for a company because you think there's a lot of money to be made there, it just doesn't always work out. Because I think if you're really into something and you really have passion about it, you're more than willing to put the time and the effort into it, and then the success comes naturally from that. 
Well, and that's, I mean, that's just great life advice right there. And, you know, that you bring up a good point is that uh, a lot of um, anglers have the ability, even if they're not necessarily, if that's not how they put food on the table, they have the ability to deduct expenses and create, uh, really classify that passion as a business. Correct? Yes, you can take expenses that are applied to fishing and deduct them against the income earned from fishing. Technically, a, a fisherman is no different than an independent contractor, which is, could be an athlete, which could be a person that sells real estate. Anytime you're an independent contractor, there's some specific retirement programs you can use, one of which is an SEP, which is a Simplified Employee Pension Program, where you can deduct monies from an independent contracting business as it's kind of a souped-up IRA, where you can do 25% of your earnings can be put into this pre-tax. It's an advanced version of the IRA, which only has a $4,000 limit. So, I mean, you know, and that's where, again, that, that team approach by having, by working with a financial planner who understands and looks out for the total picture, bringing in the accountant and the attorney if need be to have basically that, that team or that staff there, you know, to make sure that you're pointed in the right direction. Sure. And it's basically it's my job to take a person's financial stress and strain off of the table so that they can go out and spend more time with family, with friends, with doing what they enjoy and what their passions are. Unfortunately, a lot of people spend a lot of time worrying about money issues, but I think if you get hooked up with a person who can genuinely look after you and take care of financial issues, that frees up a lot of your time and mental energy to spend on the things in life that you enjoy. No doubt, no doubt. And unfortunately, Steve, believe it or not, we've actually we've ran out of time, but for I, I, can, I can assure you that we're, we're going to have you back on the edge. I mean, this is just, we've only just skirted the surface, and there's a lot of things, I think, that directly impact um, recreational anglers as well as competitive anglers alike. But for the purpose of our listeners, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, there's two methods. Our phone number here is 1-800-440-5039, and then my extension will be 219. Or you can email me at steve.gordon, which is G-O-R-D-O-N, at rfconline.com okay. and certainly offices uh, several offices located around the country but um, this way here that if somebody has a direct question uh, pertaining to their situation they can either email you or give you a call absolutely okay well Steve thanks so much uh, for being part of the edge and we'll look forward to talking with you again in the near future hey I appreciate it thanks a lot All right, folks, welcome back to The Edge. Outdoors Dan here along with Aaron Martin, and we just heard from Steve Gordon from Renaissance Financial. And, you know, I'm glad you had him on here, Aaron, because it is very important, I think, for people to start worrying about or planning ahead, especially if not for their kids, but to have a place to go hunt or fish in the future. Well, you're right, and, I mean, you know, it's, it, it was a little bit off the beaten path, but really when you think about it, it's just a life strategy. You know, any time that you go out and you prepare or or you know plan a, a fishing or a hunting trip you're doing exactly that you're you're writing down and you're paying attention to what areas of the lake are you going to be at what bait you're going to try you're doing your research your homework to make sure that you are prepared when you get there not only from the the trip the pre-trip but once you get there that you're going to be effective on the water and be able to enjoy that time and it's no different uh, than planning for your financial future. And my goal is is that we can just utilize that information that he gave us and be able to, you know, ultimately just spend more time on the water. Yeah, you know, you say a lot of times when I have you on the on my show on the radio that, 
you know, you don't have to go out and buy the sixty, seventy thousand dollar boats to be a good fisherman or just to have fun on the water. But you know, I, I, even an entry level boat these days, you're looking at a pretty good chunk of money. Yeah, you are, and you know, and you bring up a very good point. If it's you know, for instance, like how you and I grew up um, on the, the banks of a pond or, mm-hmm. or a small stream, but. With that being said, it still takes planning and financial resources to be able to do that. And I just want to make sure that, you know, that we've got all the tools out there that we need to be able to continue to to grow this sport and ultimately enjoying it and not be, you know, sitting out there in our boat or sitting on the banks wondering, you know, who's taking care of business uh, or, you know, where's my next paycheck going to come from. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, this was a great podcast. I really want to thank Cindy Hill for some great insight on, on the ledges and the river fishing and Steve Gordon for coming on and talking to us about the future and how important that is. And we got something really special coming up next week. Aaron, tell them about it. Boy, we do. We have uh, Sean Hernkey, which is a former BASS competitor and current FLW uh, competitor. And, uh, you know, he's got some great, great information to share and a tip that not a lot of people know about it, and I can't wait to, uh, to for that to be disclosed next week. But then we also have Troy Heckman, and Troy is uh, one of the pres- or I should say the president of the Collegiate Bass Anglers Association. And if you are not familiar with this, uh, this is something that I don't care if you're in college or not. Everybody needs to be aware of. Oh, that's a wonderful program. Well, I tell you what, I can't wait till next week, folks. I hope you feel the same. In the meantime, be sure to visit Aaron and all the gang at Bass Edge at www.bassedge.com. And Aaron, thanks. Good job this week. Hey, I'm looking forward to next week, and it's always been a pleasure. All right, buddy. For Aaron Martin and I, this is Outdoors Dan Young saying thanks for listening to The Edge. This week's edition of Bass Edges, The Edge has been brought to you by B&W Trailer Hitches, Cook's Tackle Management Systems, Locker Bar Boat Security Systems, and Megaware Keel Guard. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com.